The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Hello again and thanks very much for joining me for another episode of Climate Matters. I'm Lindsay Wood from climate strategy company Resilience Limited and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and of other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, today we're bringing you um, an interview with one of our political candidates for the coming elections. Please enjoy an interview with Steve Richards of the Green Party. He's the candidate for the Tasman West Coast electorate. Enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Steve Richards, the Green Party candidate for West Coast Tasman, to this Climate Matters show. Steve is likely best known in the region and well beyond for him and his wife running the enormously successful Jester House Cafe. However, anyone who has followed environmental issues in Titauihu will likely also know Steve through his tireless engagement in promoting environmental causes, such as via hugely popular talks by environmental specialists at Mapua Hall. And Steve is now offering himself again as the Green Party candidate in the coming elections, Tenakwe, Steve, a very warm welcome and many thanks for joining us on the show. Tenakwe, Lindsay, and um, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, kia ora koutou to all the listeners. It's, it's great to be here and great to have the opportunity to, to speak for the climate uh, for, from a Green Party point of view. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to lifting the lid on some of those issues over the next quarter of an hour or so. Steve, there are likely to be many reasons why you're standing for Parliament, but as Climate Matters is a climate-focused show, I'd like to start by asking you to give our listeners a sense of how climate issues rate among your own reasons to stand and why that is so. Sure, Lindsay. Um, basically, we're up Shit Creek. Um, we've known for a long time that the climate change um, is coming, that human activity burning the, um, the fossil fuel is changing the climate uh, since, well, since the 60s at least, and really nothing's happening and it's getting worse. I stood for the Green Party in West Coast Tasman in the 2020 election and feel like from what I've learned then and from where we've got with the Green Party in Parliament in the last six years, that I, with more Green MPs, we can go further and faster. Um, and it's vital, absolutely vital, that the, the government recognises the the urgency of the situation with the climate. Many thanks, Steve. Uh, that sets the scene, not a particularly happy scene, but sets the scene for matters, that some of which we'll talk about over the next few minutes, I hope. I'd like to go into Green Party policy on agriculture and climate now. Uh, national parks, like the six in West Coast Tasman, give us compelling reasons to tackle the climate crisis. And I'd have to stress it's a lot, about a lot more than protecting national parks. But ex extensive agriculture and forestry in the region are in contentious sectors 
from a climate policy perspective. I'd like to ask you to unpick for us one of the Greens' climate policies, which is to promote, and I quote, agricultural diversification to plant-based, climate-safe and resilient models, close quotes. Please also give some insights how that transition can be made least difficult for sectors like meat and dairy that are likely to be especially affected. Well, agriculture, energy and transport make up 80% of our greenhouse gas emissions. And it's it's really, we've got to get on side with farmers because they, they own the land and they care for the land. And so it's it's op- offering the opportunities to uh, to transition in a, in a fair way. But it's also because farmers need to do it because our markets are demanding it. If we carry on with the carbon-intensive farming methods that we've got, that, that there won't be a market for for the goods that that, are, that the farmers produce. Um, we've seen that with particularly with for coming from the EU, that they want uh, the, the carbon to be reducing in the products. And if you don't, and the same with supermarkets in the UK, that they won't take the products if they are carbon intensive. So the Green Party is looking at ways to to encourage farmers to reduce their stock numbers, to reduce their inputs, particularly of um, nitrogenous fertilisers. And by reducing stock numbers, you have less urine, which is one of the major nitrous oxide um, producers. Uh, it, and so it's it's really looking at how to, to keep the market by encouraging farmers to see the big picture. So it's not it's no specific policy that I can say this will do this, but it's to make farmers realise that they have to do it to maintain their livelihoods. Thank you for that, Steve. I'm glad you mentioned the idea of connecting better with farmers, because I'm one of the people that uh, really regrets the the divisions we've got when we really all need to be pulling together on things. Uh, and maybe we can come back to that a little bit in a couple of questions' time. However, I want to now go on to another aspect of Green Party policy, uh, a bit broader. Even though climate receives significant focus in the Green Party manifesto, it is still characterized by being very broad and aspirational, which invites questions around what actual strategies might give effect to the various aspirations. For example, under the heading Urgency, the policy says, and I'm going to ask listeners to tune in a bit carefully here because it's it's a quote from the policy. So the policy says, quotes, the window for reducing greenhouse gases to achieve climate-safe worlds has almost closed. Immediate and transformative change to most human systems is required if we are to minimize species extinction and ecosystem collapse. If your party had clout in the coming government, how would you exercise that influence to achieve actions commensurate with such a sweeping policy statement? Well, I think that the reason that it's far-reaching and broad is because that's what has to happen. We have to look at every issue, every every law that's passed, every um, bill that is before the House has to have a climate focus. So strengthening the Climate Commission is is one of the biggest ways, but then making sure that everything we do, because there's no there's no one fix. We have to be doing everything we can as fast as we can. I think we can take really a um, a close look at what they're doing in Wales with having a commissioner for the future, and 
you know, they there the, the Commissioner for the Future has real clout, and I think that's one of the major things is strengthening the Climate Commission and the climate the, the uh, role of the Climate Commissioner to to be able to say no, this is not this is not um, coherent with with a, a climate friendly future. Something like uh, what happened in Wales again. They had they were proposing fifty three new roads, and fifty one of them were, were thrown out because they weren't going to be future proof. Basically, you couldn't you couldn't build the roads and be climate friendly. And I think that that's I mean, in New Zealand. There's two parties that are both promising to build new roads, and it's like that we shouldn't even be looking at that. There's so many other things that we need to be doing. You know, local transport. Farming emissions, clean energy, all of those things we need to be really focused on because that's actually going to make a difference. And things that are, are not helping the climate, we just can't do. You know, we mm. have to be transitioning away from those things just as quickly as we can in every field. And that's why the the whole the the, the it's so broad is because it, everything needs to happen. Can I just pick up on one thing that you mentioned, and you talked about strengthening the role of the Climate Change Commission. Am I right in thinking you are meaning or suggesting that that should give them more of a decision-making capacity than an advisory one? Could you just uh, clarify that for me, please? Absolutely. That if if they if they don't have that, if they've only got advisory uh, an advisory capacity, then the government doesn't have to listen to them. I and mean, it was set up as a pan-government organisation, everybody agreed that we needed it. They have to listen to it. So it has to actually be, if that's what the Climate Commission says, that's what you have to do. I mean, it's the the, the tax working party was, is a classic example of the government asking for advice, the tax working party giving the advice, which included some form of tax on capital, and then the government not doing anything about it. I mean, that's the Green Party is really science-based, and we, we listen to good advice and take it. And if, if that's so we're setting up a climate commission to say this is what needs to happen, then the government has to do that. Uh, just It's imperative that, that, that the climate commission and the climate commissioner have real clout, because otherwise they, mm. they just won't. People will be doing their own thing and not worrying about the, the climate like has happened for too long. Rolling on to the next question, which in a way picks up on your comment a few minutes ago about reaching out and connecting with the agricultural sector. It's also about building bridges. The unfolding climate crisis is the greatest challenge that's ever confronted humanity, and nobody can escape the impacts of it. However, even though the value of a multilateral approach is virtually beyond question, commitment to tackling climate issues is extremely varied and at times highly charged on the political scene. If you or your party were elected to Parliament, how would you work towards bringing cohesiveness and cooperation to this seminal but currently fragmented scene? Well, firstly, I'm not hoping. I'm hoping not to get elected to Parliament, but I want a strong green government. Um, so it's what the other green, uh, the, the green MPs who get to Parliament um, can do. And I think the first thing really is to. Try and show the science. It's so clear that human impact is the impact of, of human civilization, if you want to call it that. The the burning of the fossils is having on the climate. It's the biggest change for 1.5 million years in the in the climate. 
And if if it's really to make all parties realize that it's not a joke. It's not it's not something you can put aside. It's actually real. It's urgent, and it's now. And so, one if you can just get that somehow put the science in front of people. I know it doesn't always work. People are just plenty of people who doesn't deny science, unfortunately. And then the climate commission really using levering off that that's already existing. Everybody agreed to it in the first place. Just using more, getting more leverage out of that um, yeah. is is the best way that I can see of trying to take that the the politics out of the climate. It's mm. we haven't got time to to be petty about it. It just we just have to get on and do every single thing that is possible um, to to reduce our emissions and to to start sucking up the carbon, whether that's by planting trees or um, yeah, developing some other. I mean, I, this carbon sequestration is mostly it, it comes down to putting it in the soil or in trees. I'd like to try and connect what you've just been saying, Steve with the Climate Change Commission situation, because I wonder if the Climate Change Commission having more of a decision-making role than an advisory role is also a way of taking the decision away from a particular political party in the sense that then the hard decisions can be made without looking like they're displeasing a particular electorate or particular um, support base for a particular party. Am I in in a reasonable zone there? Would you like to comment on that, please? It, it does. I mean, it's – but it, it, everybody should be seeing it as, thank goodness they're doing something. And if the, if, the, if the Climate Commission wants to take the kudos for all the effort that has to happen, well, that's great. If the political parties don't want to be seen as being the good guys, then that's that's their, their lookout. But it, somehow we have to have it that – any action we take on climate is seen as good action. And so every political party will want to be doing as much as they can rather than putting it onto the climate commission. Oh, we can't really think that, you know, people won't want to take the bus or people won't want to be only passing cars, at, at bikes at 30 kilometres an hour. Mm. The climate commission says they have to, so that's what has to happen. But actually they should be saying, this is good for the climate. We want to champion this. And is that uh, in asking the climate commission? Are we going far enough? You know, can we do more on this rather than yeah. having the, the climate commission pushing them further? They should be making the, the push. Every political party should be making that push as hard as they can and asking the climate commission: Are we going far enough? Is this enough? It won't surprise you that I'm in much the same space as you on that. However, now I'd like to do a bit of a cheeky jump sideways and pick up on on your comment. You mentioned buses. And I just love our new buses in the Nelson region. I think they're a major step forward that's long overdue, and I can't uh, can't say enough good things about them. However, one of the things that I'm quite keen on is the idea of running um, bus services at the weekends to places like Rabbit Island and Mapua, because at the moment, getting to recreational spaces is not something that's serviced by public transport. They're very popular both for people who drive a lot of cars, but also maybe would be popular for people who can't um, drive cars. Uh, you're used to that area. Jester House is in the, uh, the Mapua area. I'd love to have your take on the potential of running buses to the likes of Rabbit Island and so on at the weekend. Over to you, please, Steve. 
Well, first, I, I, I just want to agree with you that it is a quantum leap to have a bus service at all. Um, we were on, I took the, the first bus to Nelson um, when, when the service started, and I've taken the bus to Marpur a few times since then and back again. And right. I think that we have to um, be thankful that we've got that, that we've got a weekday service for now. Um, uh, week away is only it's five days a week. And but we can now get to the airport five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that it's it's walking before you run. So we, for a start, I'd like to see um, there's room for more stops because the the stops, well, especially on the the Ruby Coast here, are quite spaced out. You know, it's more than you'd walk in ten minutes. It's about an eight minute walk or so. No, it's not even that down to the Tasman store from here. Probably a six minute walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know I, it's not, nothing in any city in the in the world. If you had to walk only six minutes to the train or the bus, you'd think you were lucky. And if you had a bus stop outside your house, you'd be in you know that's that's a dream. Um, yeah. Whereas people in Nelson would be up in arms about having that. But the the idea of recreational weekend service is is fantastic. But we have to get the bus working. Just get people used to to riding the bus at all first mm. before they yeah. thinking about. The bus, and it's almost like that would be a a special service, um, and yeah, just twice, you know, once out and once back, or something. You know, that would get you to Rabbit Island at eleven o'clock, and in Marpur at eleven thirty, and and even if it didn't go to all the way to Motueka, but yeah. then it would come back at you know three thirty or something, so that you could have three or four hours at the beach, would or in Marpur, um, or you could catch the ferry across and catch the bus back again, or however that worked. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, but it's it, probably a little bit in the future. We'll just get get the get people used to to riding the bus, and um, and that it's a perfectly viable option. I think the biggest thing we could do is congest the cars more so that the bus goes past them. And once people see the bus mm. going past them, they think, "Oh, I should mm. be on the bus because I get there quicker." So we need the T yeah. two lane. Um, you need to jam the cars up more so that it's much less attractive to take a mm. car. And much more attractive to take a bus. Anything, Steve, for letting me take you down that side road and also for your constructive comments uh, in that regard. Also, thank you for tempering my impatience to see the next iteration of our bus service come into play. Now, we could cover lots more ground. I know I'm enjoying talking with you, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. However, I don't want to finish without inviting you to tell us briefly why a vote for you or for Party Vote Green, which is more likely your direction given your earlier comments, why a vote for Party Vote Green would be the most effective way to vote for people of West Coast Tasman who wish their votes to have the maximum benefit for Aotearoa New Zealand's climate responses. So obviously voting green, party voting green is the is electorally or you know for, for the parliament is the most important thing you can do you can absolutely vote for me if you would like me to be your representative and that's not my my burning ambition is not to go to, to wellington but it's to have a strong green government but the other main thing that people of, of anywhere but west coast tasman as well can do is make personal choices have it as your personal responsibility to to look after the climate so everything you do is political. Every dollar you spend, all the way you spend your time is all political. And yeah, don't believe that your action, your your single action doesn't matter. That, that one day that you walk to the shops rather than driving makes a difference. 
Um, you know, we've, we've got a vision in the Green Party that we can all enjoy a livable future thanks to the urgent actions we take now. And it's it's everything you do. There's no there's no one thing. You know, voting green in the election and then flying to Bali for your holiday is is pointless. You know, you've got mm-hmm. to you've got to make really strong and hard choices personally about what you do, and encourage your friends. You know, ask question them. Oh, you know, they say, oh, I'm off to Europe for three weeks for my for my holiday. Why are you doing that? You know, mm-hmm. have you not thought about that? Really, really push it to people that that. That they what they do matters, you know. Ecological wisdom is a core value of the Green Party, and reducing greenhouse gases is that's wise, it, and it's necessary if we want to. You know, nature doesn't mind how nature is; it just is. Mm. But humans need a very narrow atmospheric and you know, climate conditions to thrive, and we're like I said, and we're up shit creek, <laughs> and we really. We need to do something about it and urgently, and people need to know that and, and realise that, that their, their action counts. Thanks so much again, and also thank you for putting so clearly, at both at the start and the beginning of this session, where we're at on climate. Well, we really do have to close now. Uh, Steve, I'm sorry. Thank you so very much for giving us your time and sharing your views with listeners and for joining me on this episode of Climate Matters. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Richards. One thing that I'll just comment on is that after we'd finished recording, <laughs> we got talking about the change in mode of Jester's House, Jester House Cafe a few years ago when they reduced from a full-blown operation to a one-day-a-week operation. And Steve to- spoke wonderfully about that and how it represented an example of their, in a way, degrowth, how they they were trying to limit themselves to doing what made sense rather than just trying to max out everything. I found it most interesting, and I was really sorry that I hadn't recorded it. Anyway, I hadn't, and that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you very much for your company. I obviously hope I enjoy it again next week. And in the meantime, kia kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.